This is The Back Pass, a podcast for sports nerds by sports nerds. Welcome to The Back Pass. This week, we talk about the rise of franchise cricket. This week on The Back Pass Explains, we bat around the rise of franchise cricket. I'm your host, Ali Malwala, and I am joined by our regulars, Kevin and Shivank. Welcome, lads. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Great to have you guys here. We're talking about some really interesting um, rise of franchise cricket and going into the depth and history of cricket as well. So there's a lot to cover here. We're going to talk about a lot of different things. We're going to go through history, the importance of representative cricket, and you know, the cricket's new age and the growth and how cricket makes money too and how the cricketers make money. So there's a lot to cover. Let's get started. History of international cricket. Shivank, how did cricket spread around the globe? Yeah, always ask the analytical guy to answer a question like this. <laughs> now, look, um, the, the the sport of cricket was practically an English sport. It was played by the English elite and hence, you know, it's called the gentleman's game and everything. And really... Spirit of cricket. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, and that's how cricket basically spread. So wherever the English colonized the the upper hierarchy of their contingent over there, basically played cricket, and that's why you see English uh, countries colonized by England are the main players of cricket up up for the long up until the longest time. But now you're seeing a slight change in it. Where you know you're seeing some of the European countries like Romania and stuff come in, or the Netherlands come in. But yeah, um, the English played it, all their colonies played it. And then about 125 odd years ago, the ICC was formed, not the International Cricket Council, but the Imperial Cricket Council, which basically re- regulated the countries under the imperial rule that played cricket. And that started off with England, surprise, surprise, South Africa, mm-hmm. that's a different one. Yeah, and Australia. So these three countries basically started playing cricket, and one after the other, they slowly started adding other teams into it. Um, up until that point, cricket was a multi-day sport. It was not in the modern form. You played it over five or six days. You had a rest day in between, and everything of that sort. Um, in and around the time of World War Two, both New Zealand and India also joined in. And then after World War II, when Pakistan officially became a country, they got involved as well. And then, you know, it's somewhere in between West Indies joined as well, pre-World War II. So that's what the makeup of the ICC was back then. And guess what? Most of it has stayed pretty strong still. Like you've still got the main eight to ten countries that play a lot of cricket. And then you've got associate nations made up by the newer brass of cricket playing countries. So, yeah. That is how cricket spread. Wow. And to think of it, West Indies aren't going to be at the, at the World Cup this year as well. 
considering they joined the ICC, the Imperial Cricket. That was that's due knowledge. Yeah. Uh, I wonder when they rebranded, when they decided that hey, maybe we should take out the Imperial part of our title. I'm guessing when a lot of colonies broke free. <laughs> yeah, but that was just uh, that was just now the new moniker is Commonwealth, right? Sounds more inclusive. Yeah. yeah. It sounds more inclusive. Yes, it does. So then, why, why then, Kevin, is the representative nature of cricket? Why is the international game so important in cricket? Well, because unlike most sports we follow, like the you know football, rugby league, the international game in cricket is, uh, for all intents and purposes, the core of the game. Um, cricket's Franchise forms aren't very well known, and the tribalism exists at the international level. So, uh, a great example is the Ashes series that's going on at the moment. Without the Ashes series, or if if you were trying to compare that to a you know the equivalent, that would be Man City versus Man U. It's it's that level of derby, that level of tribalism, that level of intensity. So. Cricket as a whole is flipped on its head where the international game takes the, the core, um, the core of the sport and the core popularity. It's what draws in the crowds for the longest period of time. And it was also moving into the more, I guess, um, uh, personal aspects of it. It's, anti-establishment nature of international cricket has allowed for like these these colonies to assert their authority so you know the fact that india like when we talk about cricket um as an indian we think about and we think about movies there is probably only (laughs) one movie that comes to mind (laughs) but that is that is kind of like that that is part of the essence of representative cricket right it was about that anti-establishment it's about them versus us and it's about bringing down like you know the 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 colonizers almost it was always like can we become good enough to beat the people who taught us the game or who colonized our country and to kind of get some payback almost yeah it's it's you know it's funny because uh i think the first international tests or international game was between the U.S. and Canada, and it never really picked up in there in 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 the U.S. or Canada. Canada a little bit more nowadays, but I get the feeling that's probably because they beat the British. So they they mm. technically, you know, even though in, India has its own republic, they never actually fought a war with the English and won, um, and they stayed a part of the Commonwealth. Uh, you know, uh, you know, during that process, whereas. And this is this probably probably ties back into how it's how it's how that tribalism works. Like there is a sense of satisfaction in Australia when uh, Australia beats England in an Ashes series, and mm. it's just you know if you really think about it, none of the people involved, none of none of the people who are watching, they don't really have any connection to why that's important. <laughs> Like the colonialism has long gone, but somehow it's still there, and it's still it's like just ingrained in culture. Yeah, exactly, and that's the same true. The same thing is true between India and Australia. If if you think about it, like 
like all of those memories, Eden mm. Gardens, Harbhajan Singh doing somersaults at the MCG, like all that kind of stuff is ingrained into your into your psyche of, you know, what it means to play cricket. And then moving along from there, and then we kind of get into, I guess, cricket growing up and, you know, shifting away to like the new age of cricket that we get into, shifting away from nationalism towards becoming something that can actually make a lot of money, you know, and watching some of the, some of the bigger countries or some of the bigger cricketing countries actually really ramp up. You know, you think about, you think about the 83, 83 World Cup where a lot of the, a lot of the Indian players who won the World Cup were, you know, partially paying some of, some of them were partially paying their own way or, or, you know, finding creative ways to be able to make some of those payments happen to travel and to, to bear the cost of all that travel and being away for those periods, you know, compared to now where those players are you know, have everything kind of paid and accounted for and they, you know, they're almost living like rock stars. What do you mean almost living like rock stars? I think they've gone <laughs> above and beyond I rock stars. It. The rock stars are almost living like cricketers now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really only true in India, right? Like if you think about it, nowhere else in the world is... <laughs> yes, and that's sad as well. <laughs> um, no, it's, a, it's an interesting point because... I think it is, it's almost impossible for cricket to survive without having some eye on money. You can't, like the West Indies sort of is, is the, is the, the, the poster child of, of exactly this concept. Money in NBA and in American football mean, meant that the West Indian cricket had, had taken massive step backs from, from a talent perspective and, because it's just not competitive. Like you got, you understand a lot of these people are coming from like, even in India, they're coming from places yeah. where you know, it's extreme poverty. So they, they're going to focus on money and there needs to be an outlet that's sort of geared towards that. The problem with international cricket yeah. is that it doesn't fund well. Cause it's it, at the end of the day, it's a governing body is um, tied into the, the government. And there's only a set amount of funds that you can put forward to that. So most of most modern day cricketers, if they're living off the um, the international purse pocket for their salary, then they'll probably have to do a lot of marketing deals outside of that to to generate additional incomes, um, mm. to to have enough of a salary for their career to set them up afterwards. And that's an interesting dynamic as well. Like if you had to compare that aspect of cricket to to FIFA, right? So if you compare ICC and FIFA, and, and we know both corrupt as bad as each other, you could say, but FIFA very, very, very specific in terms of the football association for the national teams have to be separate from the, from, from the governing body and from the governing body of the country. So they have to be separate from the politics side of it, where you're, you're kind of saying that in cricket, that's almost like it's kind of, you know, it's a government, there's a government cricket association. So it's own, it's kind of connected. No, but the funding, yeah, like the, the, the funding is tied heavily into it. Like they get so many government grants. It's, it's a similar to, 
it's not the, quite the same as the Olympics, but it's very similar to um, it's very similar to how the Olympics um, is run. That all of the grassroots are run by. Uh, well, I, ca- I can only speak for Australia because I haven't lived in New Zealand mm. or and I haven't and I haven't spent enough mm. time in India to be able to to speak to how BCCI is run. But the, the all the grassroots they're tied to Cricket Australia, which Cricket Australia is funded. Um, at some level by the government, yeah. um, which is taxpayers' dollars. That's yeah. very cool. And that's a that's a really, really good point, Kevin. I think we'll come back to that one later. But that that is a really, really vital point about kind of how player development and growth happens in, in cricket as well. But, you know, so about that making money and part of that also became why don't we introduce more formats of cricket? What cricket grow in that direction where why don't we modern, modern, modernize the game and bring some modern kind of excitement to it. Shivank, like, you know, one of our favorite formats, ODI. Mm. We love to hate it. <sighs> There's no better way of putting it. <laughs> but it was controversial, right? Like when it first came out. Oh, it was so when it first came out, yeah, 100%. But it was born out of necessity. Like international cricket was losing viewership and people just didn't have the patience to watch a six-day game. Ironically enough, people don't have the patience to watch an eight-hour game now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, look, that, that that's basically the origins of the thing. And then an Australian by the name of Kerry Packer decided, you know what, let's cash in on the fact that cricket has a dying um, interest stream right now and the players aren't making enough money. So... If we combine this with a lot of marketing, with a lot of glitz and glamour, maybe we come up with a format that actually has a lot of brand value associated with associated with it. And so, was you know, you get the modern version of ODI cricket. You get colored clothing, you get white yeah. ball, you get day night formats. Why restrict yourself to just hours of daylight? And that 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 did bring a lot of excitement, right? I mean, oh yeah, you know, you had you had that early versions of the ODI cricket, and it was like sixty overs, mm. and you you had Sunil Gavaskar who famously batted, who opened the innings, ball one, and was also faced the last ball of the sixty overs, yeah. scoring, I believe, off the top of my head, I think he got he either scored like thirty seven or he scored sixty five runs. Something like that. So, something like that. <laughs> Batting 60 overs. Can, can you imagine? Yay if, for T20. Uh, can you imagine any modern day player doing that in any format of the game? Batting 60 overs and coming back with 37. Oh, maybe Pujara. Maybe Pujara. <laughs> but yeah, that's basically how cricket grew. Um, and we have the modern version of ODI cricket. Now, when you have two formats only... Test an ODI. The ODI was pretty successful at being the revolutionary format, you know. Mm. And then almost started taking preferences. Yeah, well. yeah. And then you started seeing multilateral series, tri series, or the Asia Cups, or whatever. And then yeah. you started seeing rule changes like fielding restrictions coming in, or anything down leg side being away, just to spice up the game a bit more. Yeah. Whereas Test cricket always remained the the purest form of the game without any major rule changes, unless absolutely necessary, of course. Yep. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about body line for sure on that one. 
And, you know, that also brought in, like, like you said, the, the competitions and the tournaments, yeah. right? Like we, we got, we got the world cup. Exactly. Without ODI, we don't have the world cup. There was, you know, we're still trying to figure out how to do a world cup with test cricket. Let's face it. We don't, we, don't, we have yeah. one. It doesn't make it doesn't sense make at sense, the moment. No. <laughs> so then it's starting to be like, you know, basically coming out of like, you know, almost going from that transition of coming out from black and white into the color world, mm. you know, I, I think it almost happened at the same time. So you went from black and white TV and you went from the white test clothing into that color, color yeah. of one day cricket and color TVs. It, it almost seemed like a revolution all at the same time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't really a, so yeah, the schism happened, but you, if you think about it, it, it sort of speaks to how cricket as a whole is so traditional because it still kept test cricket and test cricket was still heavily followed even post that period. Like it, it almost enhanced test cricket. Whereas if you look at other sports, the rule changes would have just happened to the, like if they thought that it was going to work, that they would, they would have just got rid of test cricket and they would have just stuck with one day cricket, mm-hmm. for instance, and you would have just evolved the game keep going you'd lose that history that this would now be what is cricket yeah right? exactly like it, it, this would be the now form of cricket but never get rid of the old one you know spirit the spirit of the game wouldn't allow it the spirit is holding on tight to test cricket yeah yeah and there's there is there is some there is some history and there's some and I, I think it's still true to this very day that there are people who only watch test cricket who only enjoy test cricket hate ipl hate t20 hate one day cricket um, regardless of, you know, any positive experience that they might, might have had with it, you know, going to see a live game, they still watch test cricket. Um, and I've got friends and family friends who, who are, who, who are willing to sit through five days of a draw, but are not willing to sit through an hour or, or eight hours of, of one day cricket. Uh, so. Are you counting me in that category, Kevin? <laughs> not, not particularly, no. But because um, <laughs> you do sit down and watch even IPL, the, even the vice versa. Now you have you have like all these audiences who you know T Twenty cricket and One Day cricket. But you literally like if they watched if they if they were flicking a channel and Test cricket was on, they'd be like, "Yeah, moving on." <laughs> You know, it just almost be like not doing that. I'm not doing that to myself and watching test cricket. And then it's kind of weird. It's all the same sport, right? Well, technically the same sport. Technically the same sport, yeah. It's the same sport because sometimes the same players play it. And with the same ball and a rough. Well, it's not even the same ball. Is it really the same ball? Oh, yeah. Same bats. They at least have the same bats. Yeah, the bats are the same. The ball is slightly different and depends on who makes the yeah. ball too. The wickets um, are different but... as well <laughs> between each one. The pitches. the pitches are different. The 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 size of the yeah. field is different. Yeah, yeah. They really should just be different sports, right? Like we're talking about different sports now, right? We should just call it a different sport. It's just, I guess, we we are lazy. We're the ones who call it cricket. <laughs> yeah, just make it's it. not the sports fault. Yeah. yeah, like if we can call indoor cricket sip as a separate thing, let's just call it. These things are separate things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, exactly. Just played in a similar manner. 
or roughly the similar manner that looks kind of similar it, it, to other it things? It is. It is a bit of it is a bit of time traveling when you watch Test cricket after you've watched one day in T Twenty, because you can you can tell that there is a there's an age factor involved. There's it's kind of like the wigs that you know lawyers wear in in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> I I still I still do not like the numbers and names on the back of test shirts. Really? I still feel like there's a little bit of, it should just be white. Like just, yeah, I don't know. It just feels weird to have that number. Maybe just a name. I don't know. It doesn't need a number. I do like a, a slight, a slightly tattered, maybe this, you can call this a fetish, but I do like a slightly tattered (laughs) worn out test cricket cap. I I think there's, there's something about that. I don't know what it is, but yeah, yeah. when it, especially when it builds that white line of sweat, yes. uh, sweat around yes. the headband, just like that wavy yeah. line that goes around. Yes, exactly that. Exactly, yeah, that. <laughs> oh God, that is some weird fetish. Yeah, <laughs> it's you know like, what? oh yeah, this guy's done the hard lines. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, that's a that's a cap that that that's a well well loved yeah. hat. Yeah. I remember. I think it was Steve Waugh's final test. His um, band yeah. broke. His last six snapped, and I was like, "Wow, okay, that's wow, that's been lived in. That's that's gone through some hard yards." <laughs> um, now, 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 I've like I, I think I've seen a couple of caps um, in the uh, I think Steve Smiths and a few others that I've seen recently in the um, Ashes tour that that look like they've reached that level. I, I'm starting to think whether they make them as well as they used to because they seem like they're degrading a lot faster nowadays. So I, I don't. It's probably because of how much they get thrown. Yeah. To the ground. <laughs> if there's anything that the test documentaries shown us is that it gets abused quite a bit. <laughs> prob- but no, apparently after a certain number of tests, you can request a new hat. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. And they give you. Oh, I wouldn't no. do that. So it's a budget thing. I didn't think it was a budget thing. I thought you just walked out to the old Cricket Australia store and you buy another one. <laughs> no. No, because no, they've you, got the numbers. Got they can't do that. They've got the numbers. They're, numbers. They're numbers on it. But you could, you could stitch that yeah, at home. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> you just get like a green thread. And no, it's gold. Things. It's gold. For, well, actually, what, what is That's it? Gold. What is it for the Indian team? Is it white? It's, it's blue. Yeah. Is blue it? and white? Well, that, that, the hat's blue. I think the text is yellow. Or a light shade of yellow. yellow. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, and then you know, cricket growing in popularity in different parts of the world as well. You know, as we kind of have that, you know, the, the color and with the salaries now getting higher, and we've seen we've seen different parts of cricket, different areas of cricket grow in different parts of the world. You know, uh, Kevin, Australia, New Zealand. Cricket's actually cricket's actually gone up during the whole COVID period. The cricket popularity, yeah, I'm, but not in the way we expected, or not in the places yeah, it, that was that's traditional. Traditional, yeah, exactly. It's, it went up in the um, women's game, uh, which which is fantastic because I think cricket is one of the sports. Cricket and tennis probably are put at the same level where um, it's a watchable sport. This is why I would include golf. It's a watchable sport. Where the women's game, I think, is for all intents and purposes, has it can can be almost the same level of skill as you get in the men's game. I think with with other sports, 
I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just, I just think it'll take a long time to get to that point. Um, the investment that's required from a grassroots level, it's, it's a bit different on cricket. I don't know why, but you can, you can, you can fast track that a little bit and develop, um, grassroots. And it's, it's even because the, the, you know, the women's game is fantastic to watch. Um, uh, you know, and it's, it's certainly the, to the point, the T20 level is certainly to the point where I think they should start seriously considering maybe making the, 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 the boundaries a little bit wider. Um, yeah, I, I remember like um, about when I was in high school, um, there was uh, somebody that I studied with who was a up-and-coming female cricketer. At the time, there was no money in the sport and there was no, not a lot of development. Mm. And it was like, you know, it was a bit, a bit of a novelty. But nowadays, I think in the last 10 years at least, the development that Cricket Australia has put into it, um, not just Cricket Australia, but this is probably one area where the BCCI has ha- had some investment. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, the women's game is quite competitive on all fronts. It's not like it's just England. It's England, Australia, you know, New Zealand's coming up as well. Um, India's doing well. Yeah. And speaking about BCCI's investment in the women's game, um, at, in, in some places the women's teams are doing just as well as the men's team. Like, the RCB women's team stacked with talent, but still doesn't make it to the playoffs, just like the men's team. <laughs> well, you look at you look at some of the countries in which um, the women's team are outperforming the men's team as well, right? Like the Thai, um, Thailand women's team, and there are some other countries as well along that who are, who are closer to making a World Cup and you know actually performing at a World Cup than the men's are. Yeah, I reckon that's that's really good for the sport in general. Yeah, and there was a question that just just hit me, Kevin. You mentioned high school. Now I know everyone listening wants to know: Is high school for you before or after Shivank was born? <laughs> I guess it's a, I don't know if this is if this is throwing this, shade at Shivank or this is throwing shade at Yeah, this, this probably which way this one's yeah, going. If I answer this question, it probably puts me in a very interesting bracket. Yeah, and I'm yeah. not sure I'm willing so, to do that. So, so, so answer carefully, Kevin. Like, how old do you want to be considered? Uh, young enough that I'm still relevant. Old enough that I can. <laughs> You know, hold a conversation with right? yeah. It sounds knowledgeable, basically. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a sweet yeah. spot. I don't know where that is, but I'm not sure if my answer is going to get me there. <laughs> Young enough to laugh at this question, old enough to know not to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, and yeah, and you know, like women's cricket has been has been great, and that basically the whole brought like a whole extension to the sport to the sport of cricket and there's also that opportunity to rethink cricket and the women's space mm. it doesn't have to follow that men's format and you know we're talking about franchise cricket and talking about why can't it be different from branch and why can't it kind of be different and break up that international monotony in women's cricket i mean so one of the things we spoke offline about is the reason why you know, um, cricket doesn't get as tribal at a franchise level yet. Other sports like football might be is just because of the whole generational thing. Like, 
we have grown up with generations, and Kevin made the same point, that test or international cricket is what dominated the scene, whereas franchise cricket was an afterthought. And in the, in the other sports, it's the other way around. With women's cricket, it's a blank slate. Yep. By and large, a blank slate. So if you redefine the rules that the women's game is more franchise-focused and less international-focused, then, you know, it might just be the vehicle the game needs. Yeah. Ma- yeah. yeah. And that's, that's a world that would be interesting to live in, to see this. Then that would make cricket one of the only sports in which the women's game leads the men's game in terms of where where the where the game is actually heading. Yeah. And it, having that open to like kind of growth into new new areas and new avenues. Mm. And you know, talking about new avenues, like I don't hear anyone talking about test cricket as a franchise and why would why does why wouldn't that work? Would that be interesting to watch? You know, having you know an IPL test series, IPL test uh, tournament. Yeah, look, I think if you if you were able to put aside all of the uh, all of the test diehards, the traditionalists, and you're able to make test cricket, I guess, kind of. Sexy enough to franchise It's probably the best way to say it. Because <laughs> um, w- w- the only way that franchise cricket, well, any franchise sport works is the branding. Um, you see this with the BBL and the IPL. That's one of the one of their trademarks. If, if you've got good branding, at the same time, you have to pick names that are not just specific to the area. Um, and I, I have, Another set is, of super kings yeah, or super giants. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't super supers oh god uh, or rising giants I, I feel like whoever the marketing teams are involved in the IPL and you know we'll talk about IPL at, at, at a later point but who, you know who were involved in that and this is not just the IPL to BBL too because some of their names are terrible they just like tax it straight from the US sports like the heat scorches, scorches. yeah it's like yeah. Oh, come on guys like pick well, like, an I animal. Know, I know we don't give them enough. Just, shit, a, just like I, I, I know we don't throw enough dirt around in their direction. But honestly, Mumbai have a pretty terrible name as well. I mean, for God's sake, it's like you know, we like we're gonna we're gonna call our team the Sydney Australians. <laughs> it's like. Thing. You couldn't think of anything. You just went with yeah. that. Oh, well, uh, the other, the other parallel is imagine having a Canberra Capitals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Delhi Capitals. Hey, who comes yeah. up? Who, who comes up with these names? Crying out loud. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, clearly, clearly, people who have a lot of things to do and not enough time to think about think about great ideas. Um, too much money to. There's earn. way too many kings in the in the IPL. Like they're just there's so many kings. But isn't that a true representation of India? If you really boil it down. <laughs> oh dear. Um, sorry. The question. It kind of goes back to its almost <laughs> almost colonial days, yeah. right? Of before colonialism, where there were a lot of kings yeah. in India. We're taking back what is ours. 
yeah, yeah. Very, very anti-establishment. Yes. Yeah, I, I guess we're still living the same sentiment one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Coming back to the question. But how would it work? How how would how would Test cricket as a franchise actually work? So if we had say like IPL, I, I don't think IPL would work. There was like BBL equal equal. No, like like we spoke to Gurpreet pre- previously, um, good friend of the show. Uh, he when he was explaining it, it sort of gave me a little bit of light bulb. The tribalism is not going to work if, and that's what, that's what test cricket's all about. Test cricket is the purest form of tribalism in cricket. And you're not going to generate that if you just try and do like Ranji trophy equivalent. It's just not going to happen. Even the IPL auction style is, is detrimental to that. Like it's, it's, it, you need to somehow generate some, some kind of tribalism or, or try and copy across. Now, the only tribalism, well, the, the most obvious tribalism is the international tribalism. So maybe you could, maybe as Gurpreet was saying, you could split it up into regions and try and focus on that. The added issue there is, well, who would want to watch that and how would you get that above board? And, you know, after the novelty wears off, will people still be watching that? Yeah. Um, yeah. How many, how, how many people really want to watch, say, Tamil Nadu play Sussex. Well, yeah, maybe maybe that's a <laughs> you picked well, that would, a you interest in Tamil Nadu versus Sussex. Yeah. I'm actually thinking um, let's let's spice it up. Let's play it at the Vaca. Tam- why not? Yeah. Right? Like, why not have like you know picking a a county team? I guess now we're looking at county and kind of list A cricket as ICC calls it. Um, and setting up a list A cricket World Cup where you have, you know, every country gets whatever coefficients and then they all get together in one country and you won't have any crossover between players because generally don't unless you're an overseas player in another for like one of the one of the teams. Yeah, but you'll have the same issue as what you have with um, international cricket right now, which is you have a core of maybe five teams that can win the Test World Championship and that's about it. Um, and even out of that five, probably only three are relevant in any test cycle. Uh, so, you know, it's not like what I would expect to happen in that scenario is that England, Australia, India would be, you know, dominant. And then you would have occasional New Zealand, occasional Pakistan, maybe Sri Lanka. I doubt West Indies on this if the money's there. So there's there's a yeah. there is a I think there's a talent limitation when it comes to Test cricket as well. Uh, it's it's the fundamental flaw with List A cricket. It's like if you're watching Sheffield Shield. No, no offense to those who play Sheffield Shield, but Cricket Australia is only going to develop enough players for the international team to be successful, right? And if we're honest, yeah. that's between twenty and thirty players. That's not enough for you to be able to to have a, an ongoing franchise series and have it really entertaining, or at least at the level where where it would work in international cricket. You'd have too many – you'd have the best of a situation where you stopped like five catches in one test series and there's no there's no other play to pick. Um, so it's, it's – you know, it's not it's not going to be – I think like you'd need a lot of work to get to that, that level where it's 
I assume that analogy was going a different way. I thought you were going to talk about how you you talking about the Bearstow situation where a lot of a lot of young players would walk out of their crease. Just <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> they thought it was a done deal or it was the ball was dead. Um but you would think that a lot of players or a lot of youngsters who have potentially been just talented athletes who are like getting to 18, 19 and going, am I actually going to get a Cricket Australia contract or am I better off, you know, going, putting my effort towards basketball or rugby league or rugby or AFL because I'd like to play cricket, but there's no guarantee of me getting a Cricket Australia contract and being stuck in Sheffield, um, Sheffield Shield for the rest of my career or, no, not Sheffield Shield. Yeah, Sheffield Shield. What's the Australian? Yeah, it's just Sheffield, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, or go into go into rugby league or rugby or even geez, even rugby. Um or AFL or basketball even, and there's a chance that I can actually have a more successful career, a more satisfying career. Well yeah, that's that's exactly your point, right? Like basketball is a good example of a sport in Australia that's now starting to develop and you're starting to see a lot of Australian players get into that higher earning bracket in the NBA. Like, um, I mean, Ben Simmons is the most obvious example of, a, of an Australian player, Australian-born player, Novakastrian, who's um, developed enough to be, I think it was like the number one pick in the NBA. So, you know, that's, like, that's happening. So you're going to get talent siphoned off that way. And, you know, people talk like to talk about, oh, you know, Andrew Simmons, he could have played rugby league. He ended up playing cricket. But for every Andrew, Andrew Simmons, there is probably, you know, 50-odd other players who chose rugby league over cricket. Um, and that's just, it's, first, it's earning potential. It's, you know, the clubs themselves. So you can generate, um, you know, notoriety. You have after, after sport um, career paths. There's, you know, in coaching for things like that. In cricket... For the longest time, especially on the test side, there is no other earning potential once you hang up those boots. Like you'd have to go work in the IPL, and, and that's that's exactly the big reason and the big big reason we're having this conversation is because that franchise cricket actually brings a lot to the sport because now suddenly it's not just us, you know, you know, eight or nine different countries having a squad of 30 players each, suddenly you can have a lot more players who are earning at a higher amount, right? So suddenly you're gone from, say, only 300 players who are actually earning at a high, high level because you still think that a lot of country, a lot of players in West Indies and um, Bangladesh aren't quite at that you know, pay scale level um, and maybe even New Zealand. Um, maybe half the team isn't. But... With franchise cricket, you have that opportunity for it to be you know, thousands, be potentially at that higher pay scale level. And that is exactly what we want to get into. And I think that's probably the best cutoff point that I can think of for this episode. So you'll have to join us for part two, where we really go even deeper into franchise cricket and T20 and why all of that ties in and why why cricket world needs us why the cricketing world needs us so thank you for listening as always 
you uh, you can get us you can get in touch with us on our socials on Facebook Instagram and Twitter at the Backpass Pod please get in touch and uh, always happy to have you be sports nerdy with us thank you for joining Kevin and Shavank we'll see you next week